a holiday what actually happened when we were coming back we were traveling home and uh, we were in the in the airport and as many of you know that whole process of getting through an airport depending on the amount of travel you have done can either go you you expect it to go very smoothly or uh, or it can go quite uh, it can be quite challenging depending on on the number of the crowd and the the various system that the particular airport has uh, has adopted and I've I've had the joy of traveling to lots of different places in the world and and uh, you know I've been to some pretty chaotic airports certainly around Africa or Eastern Europe and these different places you you learn just to go with the flow you there's nothing you can do you keep your mouth shut you just just let it happen because there's nothing you can do and so we were traveling through the airport and we uh, we'd gotten through security which is always the most stressful part especially um, uh, you know you, you're not sure what's like for me what Sarah has packed in her in her uh, in her travel bag you know uh, well I bought a machete you know and put it in you know what that kind of thing she didn't but that's always crossing my mind what she got in there and and so they always separate you off so I go through and and it's fine and then I'm waiting with no shoes on that awkward moment as you're waiting for your your travel luggage to come through the conveyor belt and you're trying to look innocent you're trying to not look like a drug dealer or a terrorist whatever that looks like and you stood there like trying to you know be nice to the person because you know they could make life difficult for you and and I'm thinking Sarah's taking a while and I look over Sarah hasn't actually got into the line yet and she's she's mouthing something at me I'm like what like I mean she's literally from where I am to nearly where the media desk is at the back and she's 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 mouthing something I'm like I'm already deaf in this ear literally I I'm trying to lip read like what and what what she was trying to say to me was that, that we got coffee in our bag. Apparently, th- that's not good. That's classed as food, and we should have declared that. And she's mouthing this, and so I'm mouthing back. What? And so she's gesticulating more. But so by the time she actually comes through, it's like we'd had this argument 30 foot apart. I'm already like, I don't know what the problem is, lady, but, you know, I'm, I'm already tense. And so it's fine, and she comes, and she's, and bless her, she's, she's feeling a bit flustered. We get the coffee thing sorted. Then we go up this escalator from the security area, but because in her flusteredness, she'd forgotten to do something. So we get to the top of the escalator, and I'm slightly in front of her, and she screams. And I turn, and she's got one of her shoelaces trapped in the escalator. And so she's doing this with her bags, and she's like, ah, and then there's people behind and I'm freaking out I'm like okay emergency stop so I lift up the flap on the emergency stop slam the button nothing happens so I'm like I, so I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have to snap the lace so what actually happens is elderly gentleman behind her kicks Sarah's foot fair dues I mean that's pretty smart kicks his foot like this so then I'm thinking hey you don't you kick my wife no, 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 that's a good thing. So, you know, image of pastor beating up elderly gentleman in airport just by security. You know, that's, that's not good. So eventually the shoelace snaps and she's fine and we're like, ooh. And this, this, lovely, this lovely guy just kicked my wife, said, oh, happens to me all the time. <laughs> what? Do you know what was most concerning me about that? The emergency button didn't work. That should have just stopped that thing because I remember as a kid, I used to like pressing those buttons anyway. 
just for fun, boop, and walk away. You know, and everybody just stops, and you just kind of, but that's just me. Apparently, you didn't do anything as bad as that. Um, sorry, Dad. See, the thing is, is at some point in life, you need to press that button and stop because we get trapped in our thinking and we think, okay, this is the way things are. And then sometimes, and this is my prayer for this morning, is that it's like God hits that emergency button and it works and you stop and maybe you sense, I'm actually, I'm a bit trapped in my thinking here. I know this isn't right. There's something not right going on in my, in my mind when I consider this particular situation or paradigm or belief system that we have. And, and God gives us this, this beautiful opportunity every week when it comes to church and when we read our Bibles. It's like he presses the button and says, okay, let's just slow down. Let's just think about what it is you're thinking because you're trapped. And that kind of thinking is actually not going to end well because it wouldn't have ended well for Sarah. I'm not envisioning her being sucked under the escalator or anything, but it was scary for her. And we get into thinking when it comes to God that actually ultimately is quite fear-filled. It's scary. And we start believing the lie to be true. We start believing that what we think is true. And you know the person who speaks most to you is you. You are your biggest champion or biggest discourager. And I want to suggest most of the time it's discouragement more than championing. We are our biggest critic. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to press this button. We're going to ask a question. Okay, how is it you actually think about this particular phrase, this this viewpoint, this belief that we say that we have about God? What do we actually think about it? Now, I, I grew up in, uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s, and I remember very much in the 80s that the kind of uh, like Duran Duran and Wham and all these different bands were out, and it was very exciting, for, especially for the girls, and I remember there was this obsession about these bands and screaming and posters on the wall, and, and the thing is, with that kind of, kind of groupie type love, it's, it's one way. Wham, Duran Duran, Pet Shop Boys, or whoever it might be, there wasn't this kind of love the other way. And one of the paradigms we have, one of the thought processes we have, is sometimes it feels like our love for God is one way. That it's like he's expecting us to love him. So if this is your first time in church for a while, and you're maybe just thinking through things of spirituality, you might have this vision of God that just expects everything to come to him. But then when life actually gets difficult and challenging, there doesn't seem to be much coming back the other way. It's like one-way love. And that's what he expects. So we're going to hit the emergency stop button on that and go, whoa, let's just think about that for a second. Because we know verbally that God loves us, but it's almost like God's got his own strap line. Like Nike, just do it. God God loves us. What does it actually mean? I want to suggest to you as we study this first minor prophet in a minute that God loving us should be a paradigm-changing, transforming, life-changing Uh, umbrella over our life where everything that we do say decisions how we parent how we uh, how we are bosses how we're employees friends sisters whatever it might be that this huge banner over our life of God loving us is not just something that we kind of go well yeah obviously God loves us it's a two-way beautiful process that brings life transformation see as a church we believe 
And our vision is that God wants to see, our vision is this, that, that lives would be transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. That's our vision. That lives would be transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. What that looks like is thriving families, thriving relationships, thriving marriages, thriving kids. Because if you've been transformed by God, then those things are a natural and ultimately expected outcome. And I want to suggest that we're going to see in this minor prophet in a second that if we truly believe in God's shocking love for us, that ultimately that we should be seeing thriving families, thriving relationships, thriving marriages, thriving kids. That if we really believe that we're in love. Do you remember the first time you were in love? Do you remember that first time where you were just like, oh man, I, I feel like I can do anything. That continually in life. And we're going to see this picture in a prophet called Hosea. Hosea. Hosea is one of the minor prophets. The minor prophets are a, a group of books in the Old Testament. There's 12 in all. In fact, traditionally, historically, they're called uh, just like one book. But this, this, the minor prophet is, is what we're going to be studying. And the, the book, the one book that it was referenced in the, in the uh, traditionally in history is called The Twelve. And they're called minor prophets, not because they were short or not because they were uh, small in their, uh, sorry, in their importance. But they're literally called the minor prophets because the books are small. And if you read the minor prophets, they're fascinating stories. And we're going to be looking at five over the summer. And I want you to commit to yourself. You're going to get here and hear each of these messages as much as you possibly can. Because I promise you that the relevancy of each of these minor prophets slots into your life so brilliantly that when I was actually studying this, I'm thinking, man, this is really challenging me and how I think about God's love for me. Because this statement that God loves you should not be just something we go, well, yeah. It should actually bring direction and transformation into your life. And I'm going to guess that there are a few people in the room who need that. Who need that knowledge that you are loved. That need that knowledge that you are chosen. That need that knowledge that God knows what he's doing. That need that knowledge that when you look at that situation, you look at your kid, when you look at your family or your business or your friendship, whatever it might be, that that banner that God loves you should bring a comfort and joy that carries you through. Not just holding on for grim life, but actually you find comfort and joy in knowing that God Almighty loves you. And it's not just any old love. I want you to see that it's a shocking love. If Hosea was going to write a blog, then this blog post, this blog probably would be called God's shocking love for you. God's shocking love for you. You could change that to any number, amazing love, uh, just unbelievable love. It's, 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 it's crazy. And you're going to see that today as we work through very quickly through this whole book. Now, don't worry. We're not going verse by verse. I'm going to be choosing specific verses. But the overall theme of this book is God's shocking love for you. Why is it shocking? Because when I said that God's love, it feels like it's one way from us to Him... It's actually the other way when it comes to Israel this time. Israel were in chaos politically, financially. It was actually very mirrored to what you could say we're experiencing in society today. They were in chaos. It was, it was, it was problematic. It was challenging. 
And then you have Hosea, who's the voice of God, speaking into Israel, saying, look, this is the reality. This is what's actually going on. But Hosea in his life is a picture of God's shocking love. Let's look at some verses I want you to have a look at. First of all, Hosea 1, verse 2 to 3. Hosea 1, verse 2 to 3. All these verses are going to appear on the screen, Lord willing. But I do encourage you to look at them yourself uh, on your Bible app or in your Bible. I'll give you 10 minutes to try and find it in your normal Bible. Um, Hosea 1, verse 2 to 3. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Goma, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay, when was the last time you came to church and the first word the pastor says is whore, prostitute, welcome to the south. It says it three times and, and, and you're bound to have winced a little bit. Like, whoa, hang on a second. This is pretty shocking straight away. God comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, you need to go and marry somebody, okay? You need to go and pursue and marry this lady. Her name is Goma. Now, that, that would be alarm bells for me straight away. Goma? Doesn't it sound like a pretty name? I don't know. I'm mean, sorry if I insult anybody whose middle name is Goma. Anyone? Thank you, Lord. No, I know. Thank you, Lord. But Goma is a prostitute. By definition, at that time, a prostitute had a certain function. You see, what God was doing right away is he was painting a picture through Hosea's life of what Israel were doing. He was using Hosea to paint a picture of who Israel was. And he was saying this all through the scripture, Israel, you are like a prostitute. He uses this incredible picture to show an ultimate act of betrayal that the children of God, Israel, had strayed to the point where they had become like prostitutes. And so God was saying, look, that, that this, this lady has given herself to someone else continually. And he's saying in the same way, Israel, you continually give yourself away. You continually chase after. You continually give yourself to something or someone that is not godly, not biblical, not just that, but not good for you. This is not an ideal. This is not the way you were designed. This is not my plan for you. This is not my purpose for you. Israel, you are like this role of a prostitute. And Hosea, you are going to go and marry this prostitute as a symbol and sign of my love for you, Israel. Even though you have strayed so far, I continue to love you in this shocking way. See, Israel had been seduced. Israel had been seduced to the point where they were so far away from God's original design for his people. They'd been seduced They'd replace God, and they were trusting something else. So let's just press pause for a sec. Let's press that emergency button. What on earth has this got to do with me? Because I did not wake up this morning thinking that I was like a prostitute. I did not wake up thinking that maybe God looks at me and my life and equates it to spiritual adultery. But that ultimately is how the Bible describes our chasing after, our replacing God in our lives. It's like spiritual adultery. 
and adultery really is the ultimate act of defiance, but also betrayal. This is not the way things are meant to be. That if you're in a relationship with somebody, for somebody to then go and commit adultery with someone else is a betrayal that I, I mean, as a pastor, I've spoken into situations and, and, and challenges and family situations that involved adultery. It is challenging, it's difficult, it's heartbreaking. It's not the ideal. It's not the way God intended it. And so the Bible speaks about how sin and us looking and chasing after other things is like spiritual adultery. So what are some of the things that we chase after? What are some of the things that we've been seduced by? I'm going to leave that hanging for you. Because I could give you a list. But the reality is, I think within a few minutes of us going to the Lord, we could say, God, what is it that I am seduced by on a regular basis? What is it that I am distracted by? What is it that replaces you? And as you come to the Lord with that question, I know that he will pinpoint and show you, okay, here's an area. Now, I can give you that list, but how much more effective when God gives you that list? And he does it far more effectually than, than me. And like adultery, it ends badly. It was ending badly for Israel. And it broke Listen to this. It broke God's heart. So for those of us who are a little bit more reformed in the room, just just lean into this just for a second. I I love reformed theology. I really do. I love love reading, like I've said many times in the last seven and a half years, I love reading dead people's stuff. Because like the last thousand years of theology just blows my mind. Way more than the last 20 years. Not saying there's nothing, anything wrong, and some of it is really wrong, but I love that. But one of the challenges with the Reformed theology is you get this clinical view of who God is. And one of the, one of the views of that is that God is this kind of um, dour, strict God leaning forward in his throne, ready to bash us over the head with a stick. I'm not saying all Reformed theology, this is the challenge with being a preacher. I'm not saying all theology is this. I'm, I'm exaggerating to prove a point. It can be that way. And what seeps from that into this thinking that God um, is just this hard character. But when you read the scripture, you actually see, yes, a God who brings discipline. Yes, a God who is in control. Yes, a God who is in sovereign. Yes, God who knows the beginning to end and he, everything holds in his hand. This incredibly powerful, mighty God. Absolutely. But also, scripture teaches us that God has a soft, gentle sometimes broken heart you read through the lines you read the scripture you see how Jesus weeps over situations he says oh Israel how often I wish that I could have gathered you together and what you're seeing is God's amazing shocking love in this situation where he's saying Israel you have destroyed much of our relationship you are not interested you have strayed you you, uh, are chasing after you are acting like a prostitute you are committing adultery but I love you Israel I love you and in verse chapter 2 verse 5 it says this for she said this is Goma I will go after my love so Hosea marries Goma and then she says this I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water my wool and my flax my oil and my drink so so Hosea marries Goma 
And then Goma immediately starts straying back to her whole life. She leaves him to go with a guy who, she, uh, who eventually abuses her. You can read that in chapter 2. Hosea pleads with her to come back, goes as far as giving the guy money to provide for her. Think about God right now. And the guy just is disinterested and sells her into sex slavery. That's the story. How many times have we, and and you need to think of the love of God in the midst of our straying, our resistance, our going back to the things that we have been saved from, that God continues to provide for us, continues to love us, continues to pursue us, and yet we are continually destroyed and broken and anxious, even though that which we are attaching ourselves to is the worst thing that we could. We chase after it again and again and again, and God continually pursues and pursues by showing us this through Hosea going after Goma. This new guy that she's gone to gets tired of her and tries to sell her as a sex slave. And in an open market, this is, this is right here in the Scripture, you can read this. So what's God's response to this? Chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Go again. Go again, Hosea. I love my people so much, I'm going to continually to chase after them, pursue them, whisper them. I love that person so much that even though they have strayed, even though they seemingly are a long way from God, he is continually wooing, chasing, pursuing. Go again, uh, Hosea, go again. Hosea's response, what would it have been like if you'd been Hosea? Are you kidding me? This is humiliating. I mean, God, you're asking me to do some tough stuff. I mean, this, friends, this is not like, you know, pastor asking you to volunteer in kids' church or in the nursery. This is a calling that would, like, what are you asking me to do, God? God says, go again. Why? You can read it there. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. See, God's trying to make a point. And Hosea heads to the auction. You can read this. And this auction... I'm sorry if this offends you, but this is the reality of the scripture. You can read it. Welcome to the South. <laughs> that, this, that this auction, literally, if you look at history, would have been filled with sex slaves. They wouldn't have had any clothes on, and it would have been filled with men. It would have been this horrible, horrible scene. And Hosea, who's representing the love of God, steps into this chaos. That even though the world seduces, young people, the world seduces and shows you a life that entices you and whispers to you, this is a better way. Look at how popular you will be. Look at how much possession you will have. Look at the position you could have. Come, and you know what? We will, we will put mechanisms in place that will continually feed your thinking as to the way things should be. And those mechanisms can be covered by social media. You know, social media are used badly, and parents, we need to be so careful with our children. But it feeds this enticing seduction that there is a better way, and it ultimately results in complete chaos, and you're standing there in shame, not knowing what to do, with a crowd shouting you that this is the better way. And God steps into the middle of that chaos. Love that. 
didn't wait for Goma to sort herself out. So we live in a world that wants to destroy, to break down and take advantage. Hosea just wanted to love this lady and protect her. God just wants to love us and protect us. This shocking love of God, number one, is relentless. Is relentless. God's shocking love is relentless. See, often people will say, I don't understand God can be so judgmental, that he's sending people to hell, that, that you know, how, how can we look at the way that some Christians are so judgmental about certain people in society, and how can God be this way, and how can God be that way, and, and you know what, we, we read the scripture, and the scripture says that God is loving, he also tells us that God is just, and that God is a judge, and he's a righteous judge, and as humans we like judgment, we like it when the bad guy gets his comeuppance, we love it. That's why we watch all the police shows. We like it. We, we, inside of us, if something has been wronged, we want justice. Apart from when it means justice is against us. We don't want that. So yes, God is just. But can I tell you, God is shockingly loving. Because I know who I am. I know the struggles I have. I know the challenges I've had. I know where my thoughts can go. I know the temptations that can come. And so do you. And God steps into the midst of that relentlessly. Relentlessly continues to pursue me even when it feels like I am not just drifting, but I'm running in the opposite direction. Parents with children who are a long way from him, be encouraged. There is no place that they can run far enough from God's pursuit. And they may say things and do things that you're like, oh my goodness, there is no way. That's how it feels. Can I encourage you that God is willing to step into the middle of that situation with Goma and Hosea and say, that one there is mine. Hands up. God keeps coming to us. When I was, in, uh, when I was on holiday, I had this lovely time with the Lord one morning and I was sat on our... Um, for those who don't know, this was our 25th anniversary trip. It took us 25 years to save up. So looking forward to the 50th. Um, but we were sat there and we were looking. I was watching the waves come in. And, and oftentimes in, in biblical imagery, waves are a negative. You notice that? We actually sang it. That the waves are coming over. It's this picture of drowning. You know, like come and step out on this chaos of waves. And it's like when the waves... And you know, I'm actually sat there watching these beautiful waves with turtles floating around them going, you know what, that seems pretty nice to me. And God really spoke to me about how, as people of God, we spend our time often stood on the beach thinking, wow, that looks really nice. All the time God is saying, hey, come, come into the waves. Come enjoy what I have for you here. This unchanging, infinite amount of love and grace that continues just to present itself to us in our life. And all the time we stand on the beach, or maybe we're a long way from the beach going, yeah, I should probably go into that at some point. As a pastor, I could stand on the beach and go, hey guys, everybody in the waves. I mean, I'm not getting in the waves, but you should go and experience that. Whereas God really spoke to me and said, you know, when you are in the waves, when you're enjoying his presence, when you are loving his love, when you feel and sense his enjoyment over you, and the wave, and you're just like, it's almost like this image of being in this wave. It feels good. You can enjoy it. And then there's people on the beach. How much more effective is it if you are in the waves to try and get people to come and join you? 
Come and join me. Why? It's awesome. Look at this turtle. Don't touch it. But look at this turtle. It's another story. Save that for another time. If you're in the waves, if you are experiencing parents, grandparents, people who have friends who don't know Jesus, let me tell you the most effective evangelism tool in your tool belt is actually being so immersed in the shocking love of God that they will see that. So that when you invite them, you're not going, hey, you should go in there. It looks awesome. You know, I'm only reading my Bible every other week. But you should, you should go in the waves, get your life changed, get right, and then you can come back on the beach and stand with me and look bored. No, if we're in the waves, we're in the midst of that shocking love of God. God loves and chases and pursues. And then there's this amazing two words. He persists. Look at this, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again. Everyone say that. Go again. I woke you up. Let's say it again. Go again. Not just go. Go again. Go again. Go again. Because what was happening is there's this resistance. Let's read it. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love another woman who is who love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Don't give up on her. Go again. Go again. Go again. This is how God continually feels towards you and me. Go again. This love again and again shows us when you fall back into those old habits. Go again. His love comes again. When you forget him, it's the go again. When you are feeling the pain from your own sinful choices, God is going, I'm going to go again. He never, ever gives up. He persistently chases, persistently pursues And he loves us. And it's shocking because what would you and I do? Would we have that persistence if we were continually resisted? Would we continually chase after? I don't think we would. Go again. He won't force himself upon you. But I promise you this. As you step off into the chaos of oblivion that you are choosing to get involved in by your own choices. As you step off that cliff. The last words you will hear is don't do that I love you there is a better way some of you will jump off some of you will step off thinking you know better can I tell you as you hit the ground those words again will come I love you okay I'm back it's an incredible thing an incredible thing in verse 2 it says so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver a homer and a lethic of barley. God's love cost him everything. So I bought her for 15 shekels. So history tells us that a, a slave at that point, it was generally 30 shekels. This scripture, this verse actually shows us something quite profound. Listen, Hosea didn't have enough cash. How do I know that? Because he said, here's my money and here's Here's, here's a homer and, and here's some barley can that be enough it cost him everything cost him everything have it all so I can have her back but what has she done to you I, it doesn't matter I love her we'll deal with that we'll sort that out right now all that matters is that I need to know her that she, that she knows that I love her 
take my money, take my everything, and that is an incredible picture of everything that Jesus gave for his love for you. Relentless, shocking love. He gave everything and then some. Everything and more. Not just death, because, and, and I don't mean this flippantly, death is easy. Romans didn't want to kill you. They wanted to destroy you and your family and bring shame upon you from generations to come. Romans were really good at killing people. Like, done. They wanted to prolong this. And Jesus not only physically died, but he carried every sin, every shame of all those that believe in him. He carried that on the cross for his love for you. He gave 15 shekels and more for you and I. So when we wake up this morning, the first thing that should come into my mind is I get another day. Why? Because God loves me. Loves you so passionately. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how far you've drifted. I don't know how bored you are. I don't know how distant you are. I don't know how far and how hard you have run or are running. And I'm going to say this very gently and lovingly but carefully. I don't care. I do care, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter in comparison to the love of God. So am I saying your sin doesn't matter? No, no, no. It does matter and it will stop you having a relationship with God. But that sin, that change happens when Jesus, who died on the cross and has submitted our life to him and as praying for forgiveness, when his life floods into us, then change comes. Because here's what I want you to notice. His love is unconditional. See, Hosea wasn't stood in the crowd going, hey, hey, Gomer, can you just clean your life up and then I'm going to pay? It was like, no, here's my payment. Right, let's deal with the life. And as a church, we need to make sure that that's the mentality we have. As a church, we need to make room for everyone. And can I tell you, that means making room for people who are very different from you and I. That means that people are going to come in where you're going to go, I'm not sure whether I agree with their lifestyle. And I would go as pastor, good, I'm glad they're here. Because it seems to me that God changes and brings a gift of righteousness that comes after belief. It doesn't come the way the way around. He doesn't wait for us to change so that we deserve his love. And then he continues to change us. He brings his love. He calls us out from the crowd. He makes the payment through his son Jesus because sin and the punishment of sin does need to be paid for. That payment comes. He comes into our life, gives us this gift of righteousness. Then change comes. It's not the other way around. And as a church, we need to do everything we possibly can to make the doors at the front as wide as possible to invite people to come in, to hear the good news that God loves you in a way that you cannot even believe, that we need to hit that emergency button and say, let's just pause for a second and think about what that means, that if God Almighty the one who spoke heaven and earth into being, who knows the beginning to end, knows every intimate thought that goes through your mind. When everything gets switched off, he knows who you are, what you've done, where you've been, what you've looked at, what you've said, the thoughts that you've been tempted with. He knows it all and still says, I want that one. I love that one. I'm going to give my son so that the sin that that one has committed, he is going to take the punishment for. He is going to take the just punishment for it so that that one, that child, can be changed 
that child can be the way that I designed them to be, to be full of purpose. Because when you get filled, friends, with this sense that you are loved by God, impossibilities suddenly, they just diminish. Because that's the ultimate thing. Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you have that understanding that God is a God of go again? Has it been that you know that God has continually been chasing after you, challenging you, pinpointing things, the gomers of your life, that you are chasing after the, the lovers, the idols, the things that drift, that pull you away. You continually chase after them. Do you understand that we have a God who says, go again, I love that one. It's today the day that we actually turn just like that prodigal son. He came to his senses and he starts to walk back. And there's a father waiting, waiting to hold. He doesn't say, whoa, hang on a second, buddy, my boy. Sit ye upon the couch, let's chat. What kind of assurances are you going to give me that you don't steal my money, drift away, stink like pigs? Goodness knows what you were doing over there. I read your blogs. I saw the Instagram. Hello. Let's deal with that. Then I'll give you a hug. Then we'll throw a party. Maybe. In six months' time when you prove to me that actually that is your old life and you're not going to do that anymore. See, that's how we think about God. He doesn't think that way. He says, I'm going to hold you, and because I hold you, because I love you, we're going to throw a party. And because I throw you a party, you're going to be reminded of how much I love you. And because you know how much I love you, you ain't going to want to go and kiss pigs. Because why would you? Look at what you have here. Wow. That's the church we need to be. Amen? We need to be an embracing, loving, gentle. We need to be a seeker-friendly church, but with bite. You know, seek friendly. You remember that whole movement with Bill Hybels? Let's get rid of the cross. Let's not talk about sin. And he, he's actually repented of it now, Bill Hybels, by the way. Let's get rid of the cross, not talk about sin. Let's not talk about judgment. Let's just make it so that everybody's welcome and we'll just hug each other. Just a big mass hug. And thousands of people became Christians. Ten years later, thousands of people were no longer in that church. <laughs> so I think, yeah, let's be a seeker friendly church, but keep the cross. Keep the idea of what sin is about let, but let, let's be seeker friendly let's have a bit of bite let's keep to the word let's be welcoming let's be embracing that's the kind of church we should be that's the kind of church I believe listen we are in many ways because I know your world many of you and I know what you're passionate about and I'm so grateful to be a pastor I was sat in Maui and thinking this is pretty good this, this is pretty good. This is amazing. But I'm very grateful for my church family. I'm very grateful for the church that God has called me to because I truly believe, I truly believe that God is going to do incredible things as we continue to try and be the Hoseas in the world. Let me finish with this scripture. Romans 5 verse 5. This is one of those scriptures that we should learn Maybe next week we'll do, um, we'll do scripture memory verse testing like I used to do in Sunday school. Get candy. Romans 5.5. 5. Learn this verse this week. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. God's love is poured into your hearts. So here's, here's what's exciting. Today, when you leave church, leave this gathering, and you start church, you take this unconditional, shocking, relentless, never giving up love into that world. That's, that's what you go with. You go with God's love in your heart. How are you going to use that this week? How, how are you going to use that? Who is it that you can show that kind of shocking love to this week? See, that, friends, is church. And that changes cities. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that you have called us to join in with what you are already doing in people's lives. That God, that we live in a society of Goma. And Lord, we, we recognize that people are chasing after things that ultimately result in their own destruction. And God, there are broken people in our city, broken people in our community, broken people in the mission. And so Lord, right now as a church, now let's, let's just stand together, shall we? Let's just stand. Lord, together we stand in that gap between them and you and we pray on their behalf. And Lord, I pray that we as a group of people, as the family of God in the mission, that Lord, that we would show these people unconditional, relentless, shocking love. And that, Lord, that they would see in us your love for them. And, Lord, you'd give us the boldness to open our mouth and say, God loves you. There's a better way. Let me pray for you. Come to church with me. That, Father, you would make us a bold, loving church. Where we make room for everyone. And so, Lord, I pray that that's the type of place the South will continue to be. And that we would just gain momentum in that. And Lord, for our own hearts, pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today and this week about the things that we chase after and replaced. We've replaced it, you with those things. Lord, I pray that we, even as we sing now, I don't know what song we've got, but Lord, I pray that as we sing, we would do so with an attitude of confession and repentance, that Lord, that you would remind us once again how incredibly powerfully you love us and we'd be wooed by that and Lord we would find joy and peace and rest in that so Lord we love you but as your word says we love you because you first loved us thank you Jesus for your sacrifice thank you Lord hallelujah amen so here's why no need to sit down because we're going to sing and there's, there's somewhere in there that says you can't sing when you sat down in the middle somewhere it doesn't say that here's why I get excited about singing because if we really believe that God loves us like I just described and honestly I've done a really poor job of describing God's love to you um, if we really believe that when we start singing these words even if you're a rubbish singer Something should ignite in you and go, yes, that's why I encourage us to, 
step out and worship and be enthusiastic. Because sometimes you have to make, you know what, I'll take that back. We have to every time make that decision physically and often spiritual things will follow after. Amen?